Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Oh, and first pitch, crushing! Deep left field! This is Welcome Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy now, here's Frank, Scott, and Chris. What's up, and welcome in to Fantasy Baseball Today on Tuesday, August 9th. Frank Stample joined by Scott White. Today on the show, we have the most added and dropped players on CBS from the weekend. Lots of fab, lots of waiver wires running, so we will get you updated there. Got an Apple Podcast question. It was supposed to be questions. One of them was about Matt Carpenter, who fractured his uh-huh. foot. So Ugh. I guess we don't have to talk about Matt Carpenter <clears throat> anymore. Ever again. Nah, it's, you know, well, it stinks he's too old. because he's, he's having like this fairy tale season, Scott, back on track. It's been fun to yeah, watch, but it has been fun. Yeah. But the fun is over. The foot is broken. That is true. Unfortunately, there is no more laughter. And then we have Team Name Tuesday, which is always a grand old time when it's just Scott and myself because it's a bunch of pop culture references that we most likely don't know. With that being said, let's jump in. Oh my good, goodness gracious. All right, Scott. There wasn't much offense here on Monday. In fact, there weren't many games in general. There was only seven games. So we both have pitchers for, oh my goodness gracious, where would you like to start? I will start with Cole Irvin. Cole Irvin was fantastic yet again. He allowed one and run in eight innings, struck out six against the Angels. It was the second straight start against the Angels. It's a very favorable matchup at this point, especially... Here on Monday, they they had Shohei Otani out of the lineup, so even more favorable. And uh, it was another home start for Cole Irvin. As I've pointed out before, his home numbers are especially good. It's a big park. He's a fly ball pitcher. And it helps explain why he has, uh, at this point, a 292 ERA, a 103 whip for the year, for the year home and away combined. But the home starts are, have been the especially good ones. He, he did allow a home run. It was only the second home run he's allowed all year at home, which underscores just how good of an environment it is for Cole Irvin. So if you picked him up, it was likely for the two-start week. Uh, I noticed his, his roster rate was up to 82%, and he was a late arrival to the, the, the two-start pitcher rankings. I think when we did the Friday show, James Caprillion was in line for two star for the A's, but that changed over the weekend. And I inserted Irvin to the top of the sleeper pitcher rankings on Sunday night. And uh, yeah, I mean, he just, he just keeps it going. I, I understand the skepticism. I understand why it's taken so long for him to get that roster rate over 80% in spite of the good numbers. And 
I'd be careful about using him on the road. I, I think it would have to be a good matchup. Like his previous start against the Angels was on the road, and you know he pitched well. But I, I do think Cole Irvin deserves to stay rostered after this two-star week is done. Uh, and you know I'm not going to call him must-start, but I think with the right matchups, he's he's uh, he's well worth using. All right, yeah. I- Another fantastic start for Cole Irvin here on Monday. Seven straight quality starts and not a big velocity guy, obviously, Scott. He, you know, hits his spots. He limits walks. That's kind of who Cole Irvin is, and he's helped out by pitching in Oakland, obviously. But the velocity was up in this start, so just something to pay attention to for his future starts as well. Yeah. Fastball so, and so the, the home away split, since I only alluded to them, 166 ERA at home, Oof. 458 on the road. Jeez. So <laughs> it's pretty massive. You know, there are there are lineups bad enough that you'd use him. You'd still play Irvin when he's on the road, especially if it's like a big park, like I said, against the Angels last time. Uh, but yeah, mostly you're you're sticking you're, you're you're mostly leaving him for the home starts. Yeah, for sure. Uh, just wanted to mention again, the fastball and curveball velocity each up 1.3 miles per hour in this start for Cole Irvin, and he's slated to go against the Houston Astros this weekend in Houston. So, you know, that might kind of set off a a light bulb, a red light. Does that make sense? Although, Stop sign. I will point out that on this great run that he's been on, there have been two road starts. One was the the Angels in his previous start. The other was at Houston. He allowed one and run in six innings, three hits, four strikeouts. It was a good start. They've all been good starts for him recently. Yeah, I'd be, you know, if it's a daily lineup league, I probably would still sit Cole Irvin, but, uh, you know, that's that's part of the reason why I thought it was still plenty advisable in the two-start week is because of how well, well things for him went for him at Houston last time. I'm starting him against the Houston Astros in four starts against them this season. I don't know what it is about Cole Irvin, but they cannot figure him out. 2.19 ERA in four starts against the Houston Astros this season. I'm good with it. We're I think we're uh, rolling with Cole Irvin this weekend against them. On the other side in this start, oh my goodness gracious, for me was Jose Suarez, who makes it three scoreless starts in a row now. At the Oakland A's, seven shutout, two hits, two walks, eight strikeouts in this one, 13 swinging strikes on 97 pitches, six of those on the changeup, four on the fastball, three on the slider. And speaking of that slider, he has upped the usage of that pitch recently, really the the past four starts, and he just started throwing that slider this season. It's not something that he used last year, and you know he started throwing it about midseason, but throwing it more now, around the same time that Reed Detmers has started throwing his slider a lot more. So I wonder if it's just like a team philosophy thing that's going on, but obviously it's working out for Reed Detmers, and lately it has worked out for Jose Suarez as well. I will mention these past three starts, scoreless again, each of them. He's gone up against the Oakland A's twice and the Royals. So obviously Mm. great matchups there. I don't want to put too much stock into it, but he's 7% rostered. He's widely available. This is Jose Suarez. And we mentioned Scott recently, swinging strike rate's pretty good for him overall in the season, 12%. So Yeah, no, that's really good. Yeah. It's I'm, about the only thing that is good. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, like, the, I, I like these changes recently, though. And I'm not saying yeah. that he's a must-add. Yeah, I definitely would look to add him in deeper leagues. And, you know, maybe 12-teamers just, just kind of watch him for now and see what happens. But, yeah, sure. in deeper leagues, I definitely want to add him. Yeah, I, he, he deserves to be more than 7% rostered. That's such a low number. 
Uh, I I don't know. I don't know that I'd be eager to add him. You know, even in like a, I don't know, some of my deeper leagues, like a fifteen-team roto league, it, 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 it he belongs in the conversation at least. Uh, but yeah, all the ERA estimators are are like mid fours, including including XERA, which measures primarily quality of contact. Uh, you know, and he's he's putting the ball in the air a lot, and the quality of contact's not great. So, yeah, I mean, maybe this increased slider usage is something he can build off of. I, w- I will point out that his best pitch in this start was the changeup. He got six of the six of his swinging strikes on twenty three percent changeups. But you know, I need to see a lot more. You know, even in the previous two starts, which went well, it's not like he was. It's not like he was getting a lot of strikeouts. The swinging strike totals were decent, but it, you know he wasn't even getting a strikeout per inning. This is kind of this start is kind of an isolated incident as far as that goes for Jose Suarez. Uh, let's compare him to a few other names here: waiver wire players, uh, pitchers who could be available. Jordan Lyles with a quality start tease: five and two thirds innings, two runs, only one strikeout here against the Blue Jays, and. Uh, his last eight starts now for Jordan Lyles. He's got a 3.26 ERA, less than a strikeout per inning. There's not really anything that looks great for Jordan Lyles during this stretch. Ground balls are down, less than a 9% swinging strike rate. But somehow he's pitching well. And then Keegan Thompson, he's been hit or miss recently, but did turn in a quality start against the Nationals. Six innings, one run, three strikeouts to zero walks in this one, and his ERA is 3.36 for the season. Another one, Scott, where there's no redeeming quality. Just there's nowhere where Keegan Thompson excels, really. it's He doesn't get whiffs. He doesn't get ground balls. Control is middling. Same thing with yeah. suppressing hard contact. So, I mean, they're pitching okay right now, both Thompson and Lyles, but hard for me to get excited over either one. Yeah, long-term, it's hard to believe in any of these guys. I would probably rank Keegan... Keegan Thompson over Jose Suarez just because he's managed to keep it going for longer. But it's not it's not a real endorsement for me, uh, from me for Thompson. It's more of like, this is a guy you can stream with the right matchups because he's he's been going well. But I, I wouldn't put a lot of trust in him or, or any of these three. I think I would take Jose Suarez just because I think there might be a little bit more upside there with the swinging strike rate with him. But again, this isn't really a list that I'm excited about overall. Uh, Thompson, I will just point out, does have SPARP eligibility for those who play in points leagues. Let's just get all the waiver wire players out of the way early on in the show here, Scotty. A few hitters here who had big games on Monday. Josh Donaldson finished a, well, the game's still going. I guess theoretically he could hit a triple to complete the cycle, but I would bet against it for Josh Donaldson. But either way, he did have a big game, three hits, including a home run, and has been better over his last seven games. Really small sample size, 360 batting average, two homers during that time. Uh, But he is down to 72% rostered, rightfully so. And Ramon Arias went one for four with his 12th home run. It was a three-run shot off of our guy, Yusei Kikuchi, (laughs) unfortunately. Um... But Arias has slowed down recently as well. He's batting 170 over his last 15 games. Is there anything to see with either of these, Scotty? Josh Donaldson, Ramon Arias? I can't say that I'm eager to pick them up unless they just happen to meet a need of mine. Uh, well, I did have Ramon Arias in the 10 sleeper hitters for this week. I believe he was 10th. 
So, you know, that even that's not exactly a full-throated endorsement. Wasn't a great week for sleeper hitters, but, you know, if he, I think he's triple eligible, Ramon Urias, and, and has shown that he does have a little bit of power, so he can be usable at times. Uh, yes, I agree. There's definitely some pop there for him, despite playing in Camden, which is surprising. Uh, he's managed to hit more home runs this season. That is Ramon Arias, second base, third base, shortstop eligible. Josh Donaldson, let's just watch and see where it goes. I think a lot of people have dropped him. Again, that's been warranted. He has not played well this year. He's still hitting the ball hard, but also striking out a lot more. And he's old, so, you know, just... Wouldn't surprise me if he's just slowing down at this point in his career. A few names yep. in deeper leagues. Jose Barrero, another solid game here. Went two for four with his first stolen base just two days after a double dong. He's 7% rostered. And Nelson Velasquez with the Cubs. He went three for four with his sixth home run. He has started four of their last five games. And I think down the stretch, the Cubs want to see what they have in Nelson Velasquez. He's pretty young. He won, I think, AFL MVP, the Arizona Fall League last season. So uh, there's definitely some pop, a little bit of speed, strikes out a lot. That's the biggest issue with Nelson Velasquez. Um, Scott, what do you think about these two in deeper leagues, Barrero and Velasquez? Look, I'm going to say the same thing I said about Barrero yesterday, you know, who's striking eight, out 38% of the time in the minors, hitting about 200. So it's going to take a lot for me to buy into him as, uh, as as somebody who can make an impact in majors, even if he does have that that prospect pedigree. Yeah, Nelson Velasquez seems like he has power. Uh, average exit velocity around 90 miles per hour. He's striking out about 30% of the time, but you know, we've seen sluggers succeed in spite of that. Obviously, it, it creates certain shortcomings in batting average and and whatever else. He needs to start playing every day, I think, before we can really get excited about Nelson Velasquez. But there, there does seem to be some ability there, and specifically in helping uh, in the power categories. Uh, one hitter, potential waiver wire hitter, who I noticed you didn't include, maybe because you included him the last two days, and I was quick to dismiss him, is, is Luke Voigt, who homered again. He's 54% rostered. Mm-hmm. And I did want to point out with him now, Luke Voigt, uh, with another home run on Monday, last 17 games batting 305 with five home runs. His strikeout rate during that 17-game stretch is 25.7%. That's compared to 31.7% for the year. And that's been much higher than we were used to seeing from Luke Voigt and I think been a big reason for his struggles. Now, an improved strikeout rate over a 17-game stretch, I mean... That doesn't necessarily mean anything, but if he can sustain a strikeout rate about a quarter, striking out about a quarter of the time rest of season, then I think Luke Voigt's numbers could could end up being pretty good. So, so yeah, the, I, I'm, I'm having, I have a little more optimism for him right now than I could express the last couple days, though I wouldn't exactly say he's a high-priority pickup still. Yeah, I mean, the problem is that first base is just so deep. So right. it's it's really hard to get excited about where who are you dropping for him? Trey Mancini, we're excited about now that he's with the Astros. Nate Lowe has been solid. I mean, this is kind of the range yep. that I'm looking at. You know, uh, maybe Ryan Mountcastle. He's really slowed down over the past month. Like I could see making that swap if you just want to. No, he just he just homered on Monday too. He did. 
That uh, I don't, how how rostered is Jared Walsh at this point? Because he's been his batting average oh. is down to two twenty eight now. That's brutal. Yeah, I, I think yeah. he's last I checked around seventy percent rostered. That's too much. Uh, yes, I'd rather have Voit than him. Seventy four percent. Yeah, I agree with that one. But yeah, you're right. It's it's a deep position. You know, would would I rather have Voit or or Joey Votto, who's looked good since the All Star break? Probably Votto. Rowdy Telez, I think, is somebody who's on the fringes there, but mm-hmm. he's been, you know, he 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 tends to have these big games out of nowhere that make him, if 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 you can stick with him in a roto league, that make him worthwhile, right? So yeah, Luke Voigt is kind of a kind of part of a glob there for sure. Yeah. All right, but name to watch, playing much better. I never know, Scott. Like, if a player just keeps doing things every day, even though you dismiss them, should I just keep bringing them up? I, no, I never, that's fine. I don't know. I, I, I understand, but it's it is it is like we're we're at a stage of the season where, um, man, it just seems like every every player you bring up is like, oh. No, I don't want to pick him up. Yeah. I'm just not picking up many players at this point in the year. Yeah. If I don't you are, you. you're in trouble. Not really adding Jose Barrero everywhere, huh? <laughs> I get no. it. Speaking of adding players and dropping them, let's talk about the most added and dropped from the weekend. The five most added hitters on CBS includes Jorge Mateo, Alec Thomas, Trey Mancini, Miguel Vargas, Womp Womp, and Seth Brown, who has been hot recently for the Oakland A's. The reason for the womp womp, Miguel Vargas was optioned back to AAA on Monday. It sounds like Justin Turner will return on Tuesday. Not really sure why the Dodgers called Miguel Vargas up in the first first place, but of course I'm just a salty fantasy baseball player, so what do I know? Maybe the Dodgers have their reasons, but anyway, um, I'm sure Miguel Vargas will now turn into one of the most dropped hitters as a result of being optioned back to the minors. Um, Anyone stand out here, Scott? I feel like you know Thomas was on your sleeper hitters, as was Trey Mancini. Was Mateo on that list? I know he's been really hot yep. recently. He was okay. So you you write or talk, and the people listen. That's that's good to know. It is. Yeah, I would say, I would say all of those deserve to be among the most added hitters. Jorge Mateo, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful that he's going to be a must start player in categories leagues certainly roto leagues with the extra lineup spots i'm I'm hopeful he's going to be a must-start player for the rest of the season over the last uh little over a month actually he's been everything we hoped he could be power speed an ops near 900 you know the batting average isn't great but 250 260 you'll take that from him if he's contributing in the power and especially uh in, in the home run and especially the stolen base categories and uh, his strikeout rate is down during that stretch. I'm hoping he can continue it. I think his minor league track record suggests he can. I am of, of this group. I'm the most excited about Mancini, of course, with the move to a, a venue that's much more uh, in line with his abilities. But he, at this point, is too rostered to pick up in most leagues, I would say. So you probably missed your chance there. And yeah, that's really disappointing news with Vargas being sent down. I mean, can't say we didn't see it coming, but I don't know why you bother to add him to the 40-man roster, the 26-man roster. Uh, You know, why why are you going to do that if if you're not really going to give him a chance? And I I don't know what more of a chance Justin Turner needs, you know, or Mm -hmm. even Max Muncy. I understand Max Muncy's been a little better lately, but 
you know, that's not saying much. <laughs> that's not saying much. A little bit better for him is like he's hit 250 over the last week. Yeah. Maybe they just feel like they kind of owe it to their veterans and, you know, these guys were around for their World Series run. And look, maybe going into next year, Miguel Vargas has an everyday job, which I would assume so, because I think this is Turner's last year under contract. I th- I think he might have signed a two-year deal last year, but I could be wrong about that. So if if this if this contract information is updated, there's a team option for next year, uh, sixteen million with a two million dollar buyout. I would think they'd buy him out if that still holds. And then Max Muncy, same thing. He's got a team option for next year, thirteen million with a one and a half million dollar buyout. I, They'd probably buy him out too, but maybe not as, maybe not for sure. All right, Miguel Vargas, come on down. Let's go, 2023. Let's make it happen. The most dropped hitters from the weekend, Fran Mill Reyes. I get it in a points league. You, he could be dropped. He just strikes out a tremendous amount, and he's been terrible this year to the point where he was DFA'd by the Guardians, but he was uh, claimed off waivers by the Cubs. So, in deeper category leagues, it just kind of want to see what happens with the Cubs there when it comes to Fran Mill Reyes. Other names dropped, Alex Kirilov, Leody Tavares, Nolan Jones, and Christopher Morell. Scott, are people too quick to drop either Leody Tavares or Christopher Morell here? Morell, by the way, had a big game on Monday night. He went two for four with his 10th homer, two runs scored, two RBI. I would say no. They're not too quick. It might be a little... Like, if we're if we're... If we're suggesting that dropping a player means giving up on him forever, then it might be too quick for Leo Tavares, <laughs> who's had a bad 11 games. But that that's not the way ad drops work. I mean, you you kind of just have to to ride the ebb and flow of player performances and and you know, go for the next guy when the last guy isn't really holding his stock. I I think I think it's fine. He's still 54% rostered is Tavares, which means he's Rostered in the majority of leagues where stolen bases are, uh, you know, are in high demand. So I think it's fine. Okay. In our head-to-head points listener league, I dropped Christopher Morel for for Jorge Mateo, who, look, I get it. He's not a good points league player, but I only have one hitter on my bench in that league, and I like it to be a hitter who has multiple position eligibility. So... Morell yeah. had second base and outfield. Mateo has shortstop and outfield. So I wanted a player like that. And considering Mateo's hot and Morell's not, I made that swap in a point. Well, I mean, Morell's not a good points league player either because his strikeout rate has ballooned. Yeah. Much like it had much to where it about to where it was in the minors. And uh, although, okay, I wanted to see if he picked up third base eligibility by starting there today. He's still one game away from that is Christopher Morrell. So still just outfield and second base. All right. I mean, that would help his value if he does gain that third base eligibility. That is Christopher Morrell. Leody Tavares, I will mention his last 11 games. He's batting 175, zero extra base hits, zero steals with a 34% strikeout rate. So I do agree if we're just kind of riding the ebbs and flows right now, uh, Leody Tavares is pretty cold, and I understand why you'd want to drop him. The most added and dropped pitchers from the weekend. We'll start with the most added. Felix Bautista, up to 60% rostered. He picked up his, I want to say, fourth save? 
fifth save here on Monday. He recorded the final four outs for the Orioles in that game. The other most added pitchers, Jose Quintana, 56%, which I totally understand. I just hope you didn't play him this week because he's at the Rockies. So I like adding Quintana, but leave him on your bench. Jonathan Hernandez, 35% rostered now. Yusei Kikuchi, 54%, and Reed Detmers up to 77%. That's good. I mean, Detmers probably should be closer to 100%. He is a must-add wherever he's available. You say Kikuchi, Scott. Fortune favors the brave. <laughs> Not great at the Orioles here. I started him in one of my 15-team leagues. I was surprised to see that he was a free agent, frankly, in that in a league that deep, but uh, maybe he should have been because he goes five-plus with five runs allowed, three homers allowed in this start against the uh, Orioles. And, man, it was... Not a good one. So, whatever. It's Kikuchi. Yep. You, 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 you play the streaming game, sometimes you're going to get bit. Yeah. And Kikuchi is no stranger to to biting the hand that feeds him. It's frustrating, too, because within that same game, he allowed less hard contact than his counterpart, Jordan Lyles. But Kikuchi, if you've watched him, when he misses his spots, he misses bad. And opposing hitters just absolutely crush him whenever he misses those spots. So he's capable of strikeouts and whiffs. Kikuchi is, but uh, yeah. Also capable of getting rocked in any given start, as Mm -hmm. we saw on Monday. The most dropped pitchers here. John Gray, who is probably out for the rest of the season, if not close to it. Dealing with that oblique injury. Riceley Glacius, no longer a closer. He's with the Braves. Luis Severino, uh, another one. He was transferred to the... 60-day IL recently, which means he cannot return until mid-September. Taylor Rogers, like Riceley Glacius, uh, probably not going to close many games. You know, maybe he picks up a few saves with the Brewers. And then Ian Anderson, who was demoted recently. Scott, I feel like these are all pretty self-explanatory. Um, but does anything stand out here? John Gray, Iglesias, Severino, Taylor Rogers, Ian Anderson. Yeah, I, th- I agree there. They're pretty self-explanatory. I thought I saw an update over... Uh, about Luis Robert over the weekend. Oh, you know what? He he got placed on the 60-day IL, so now the earliest he can come back is September 13th. Scotty, a few uh, things here. You said Luis Robert. <laughs> Luis Severino. Luis Severino. And, and yeah. I just said that, so just, just letting you know. Oh, my gosh. How dare you? I know. It's all good. Terrible. Terrible listening skills. Uh, yeah, the one I had maybe expressed a little caution on is Taylor Rogers because there was talk after the Brewers requi- acquired him, said required, after the Brewers acquired him that he and uh, Devin Williams could maybe split the closer role, the lefty and righty there. And Devin Williams has pretty much gotten all the save chances since then, though, you know, he, he, he's been a little shaky, actually. And I still think there's stud closer potential there. I'm still rooting for him to to have the role outright, but it it may be that there's at least a chance that Taylor Rogers is is still a part time contributor for saves with the Brewers. I, I think that's less the case for Rice Iglesias with the Braves. I believe Devin Williams has made three appearances since they traded Hader. One of them was a tie game where he gave up a walk off homer to Brian Reynolds. The other one, final two outs for the save. He got that done. And then he was in extra innings with the zombie runner. Apparently, we're going with zombie runner. It's not ghost runner. So he allowed the zombie runner to score. Or I think 
two different runners to score, and he wound up with the loss there. But I believe they were both yeah. unearned runs, so it's not really Devin Williams' fault. But uh, I agree. It's just something to pay attention to with the Brewers. They are scuffling right now, and apparently the locker room is like devastated that they traded Josh Hader. So it's not really going well in <laughs> Milwaukee right now. Mm. Uh, before we hit the break, you might be asking yourself, where has Chris been recently? Well... He went to see Lady Gaga on Monday night where he heard one of his favorite songs live in concert. For those that have been around, I think it was last year. Was it last year that Chris made that song? I think that's a song from, I don't know, the movie that Lady Gaga was in with Bradley Cooper. I don't even remember the yeah. name of it. A Star is Born. Yes, that one. Actually, I want to watch that movie. Have you seen it, Scott? I have. Is it good? Um, it yeah. I mean, it's it's pretty good. All right. I I have no need to watch it again. It's not that good, <laughs> but it, it it's it wasn't bad. I want to check it out. I yeah. Heard it was a solid flick. Uh, anyway, Chris posted a video that Lady Gaga was playing that song, and he requested that uh, I also play the song here on the podcast. So shout out to Chris. I believe he will be back tomorrow, hopefully. And one more thing. If you haven't already, please join our Fantasy Baseball Today Facebook group. That's facebook.com slash groups slash Fantasy Baseball Today. The link is in the podcast and the YouTube description, or just go on Facebook and search Fantasy Baseball Today, and you will find it. Let's take a break, and we'll be back right after this. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Let's go! It's the most all-star studded challenge ever. And this time, it's every competitor for themselves. Best job! The Challenge All-Stars. New season now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. The news and notes. Julio Rodriguez's right wrist is still, quote, feeling a little bit on the vibration of when he is swinging the bat. And the team isn't ruling out a return on Wednesday. But I remain skeptical. I, I don't think that they will rush him back until he's not really feeling anything and he's good to go. I I know that they need him. They need to win their games, but come yeah. on. It's, this guy's really, really important to your team. I don't, I don't think you should rush him back. Jonathan India left Monday's game due to a right hamstring injury, the same hamstring he dealt with earlier in the season, but he's already said that he plans to be back on Tuesday. We'll see. With, oh, I already mentioned this, Miguel Vargas option back to AAA. Unfortunately, Justin Turner looks like he will be back on Tuesday. Jack Flaherty threw a bullpen session Monday and could go on a rehab assignment soon. He's 67% rostered. They've been sharing positive reports, Scott. Are you looking to stash Jack Flaherty uh, wherever he might be available? I mean, the issue with Jack Flaherty now is, you know, when he came back before, he was really bad. And, it, you know, it's likely because he wasn't completely healthy. He went on the IL soon afterward. But at what point are you going to be able to trust him enough to start him is what I wonder, you know, even if he does make it back in time, how likely are you to use him? If you have an IL spot to play with, obviously stick him there and see what happens. But I'm, I'm not optimistic. I'll be in a place where 
uh, I feel comfortable starting Flaherty, even if he does make it back. All right. As we mentioned earlier, Matt Carpenter left Monday after fouling a ball off of his foot. Turns out that he actually suffered a fracture, and thus we lost out on answering one of our Apple Podcast review questions. Speaking of those Yankees, they are still playing here on the West Coast on a Monday night, and Aaron Judge just hit his 44th home run, a solo shot, and apparently has great numbers in T-Mobile Park, which I didn't know, but I heard it on the broadcast. Well... I was uh, 99% sure that I read this report correct yesterday that Tyler Glass now would not be returning this season. And then it turns out that that was a lie. When asked about a potential Glass now return, pitching coach Kyle Snyder said, quote, the chance is not zero. It's pretty mm. remarkable just to see where he is. I believe he's around 30% rostered. I really doubt he can make much of an impact this year, Scott, but what do you think about Glass yeah. now? Yeah, I mean, kind of the same thinking with uh, with. Flaherty, like if you have a free IL spot, might as well use it. But I'm not confident either. Interesting that Kyle Snyder said the chance is not zero. I wish I wish he had said there's a non-zero chance. <laughs> like that is the preferred phrasing, right? Sounds better to me. I think so. All right. Uh, Chris Bryant has been wearing a walking boot on his injured left foot since landing on the IL and is without a timetable for a return. I hope I'm wrong, but just the way this season has gone and just everything we know about Chris Bryant and his history of injuries, this has a chance to be like a catastrophic contract for the Rockies over the next, I think it's six years, but it has been just a, a nightmarish season for Chris Bryant. Anthony Rizzo has now missed four straight games due to lower back tightness, but he's apparently doing a lot better and could play on Tuesday. Jesse Winker left early with an apparent back injury. I saw he was running down some kind of uh, ball in the outfield and, and kind of pulled up lame, so he did leave early in that game. George Springer, who is on the IL with elbow inflammation, could return when first eligible August 15th. Lance McCullers allowed five runs over five innings, striking out five in his rehab start at AAA on Sunday. He was stretched out to 86 pitches and is tentatively lined up to pitch this weekend against the A's. And in case you're wondering, well, who's going to get the boot from the Astros rotation? Uh, it sounds like they're going to go six-man. That's what I've read so far. And uh, yeah, I don't really like starting pitchers in their first start back, but against the A's, I might be all right with it. I think I've seen that the velocity's been lagging a bit for Lance McCullers, too. Okay. So i not especially confident he's going to make a big impact down the stretch, but obviously there's more of a chance for him than somebody like Jack Flaherty at this point. Mm -hmm. uh, last but not least, Fran Reyes was claimed off waivers by the Cubs on Monday, as I mentioned earlier. And if he winds up on the big league roster, he could you know, play every day, theoretically. Although that would take playing time away from Nelson Velasquez, who we also mentioned. So, uh, Scott, what do you think? Any interest here in Fran Reyes latching on with the Cubs? Not until he starts doing something. I right. mean, if it's an NL only league, then sure. But it it would have to be, it would have to be a really deep league like that. No, it's a really good point though because he is going from the AL to the NL, so we'll get added to the uh, player pool in those formats. And you know, if you have any fab left after the trade deadline, you might want to speculate there on friend Mil Reyes in NL only. Some prospect promotions: Guardians outfielder George Valera was promoted to AAA. Mets third base prospect. Brett Beatty also moved up to AAA, and then Red Sox shortstop Marcelo Meyer uh, was bumped up to high A. Anything on those three, Scott? Valera, Brett Beatty, 
Marcelo Meyer? Uh, they're good prospects. <laughs> All three were in my midseason top 30. And I think there's a chance we could see Valera or Beatty this season. I mean, the Guardians have already called up so many outfielders that um, I'd be a little surprised if they called up Valera again. And in Beatty's case, there'd probably have to be an injury or two for him to get the call. But it's possible. Okay. Again there. Uh, George Valera, just a name to pay attention to with the Guardians. I've also seen some speculation about Francisco Alvarez. Obviously, we can't really talk about it until it happens, but yeah, I'm sure the Mets could use another bat, especially from their catcher position. So maybe it happens, but uh, just something to pay attention to there if Francisco Alvarez were to get the call. Not baseball related, but I did want to pay our respects to Olivia Newton-John, who famously played the role of Sandy in the movie Grease, who, you know, if you listen to the podcast here, uh, I have the high-pitched Sandy going at times, Sandy. Uh, and, of course, it comes from the movie Grease, so I was a little bummed out here on Monday. Rest in peace. Here's a new soundbite that we will add uh, whenever Sandy Alcantara does anything of note. Sandy? Tell me about it. Stop. There you go. All right. We do have an Apple podcast review question I wanted to answer, Scott. And we've been getting a few questions like this, just kind of asking, you know, what to do this time of year if you play in a keeper or dynasty league. And this one's from Ham Slides. Great name. I would love to hear about what to do when the season has gone completely wrong. For example, what's the best way to rebuild in a keeper league or what should your trade strategy be? I'll answer the first part of this, Scott, and then I'll let you kind of answer the the Keeper League dynasty aspect of this because I know you have a, a mindset that you like to follow, kind of, I guess, retooling more than rebuilding. But when your season goes completely wrong, specifically in redraft leagues, that's what I wanted to mention. I go back and look at my draft results all the time. It's I, I definitely <laughs> would be more productive if I used my time doing other things, but whenever I have a team that has not performed well, I look at the draft results and I just try to figure out like what went wrong. What did I do wrong? Or, or you know, what players did I draft and what has gone wrong with those players? And you just kind of try to refine your process. So obviously once the season ends and all of the stats are, you know, cemented in the books in to- totality for the season, we'll go back and look at, you know, players who let us down and try and figure out, you know, what they did wrong and how we can improve our process. But that's something that, you know, let's just say I played in one league and it just went completely south. That's exactly what I would do. I would look back at mm-hmm. the draft results and just try and figure out what I do right, what I do wrong, and maybe uh, try and figure out which players let me down and how can I avoid players like that moving forward. Uh, but we will talk more about that yeah. once the season ends, obviously. Well, and and, and just to, to piggyback off that, if, if, if it is a redraft league and you're out of it, like I, I'm definitely in favor of and... and um, and respect those who play out the string, you know, who play spoiler. I can, yeah. I can take solace in, in moral victories in fantasy. For instance, in the, in the podcast league, the longstanding 12-team points league, uh, I'm not making the playoffs. My record is 6-10. and 10, But I have, you know, had, had a good couple weeks in terms of scoring, and I just noticed that I think I have like the fourth most points in the league. So if it was just, if we were just st- scoring straight off points as opposed to win loss record, oh, I would be in playoff position. And, and that, that's, I, I don't know, that, that gives me a sense of accomplishment, even though I'm not able to accomplish the main thing I set out to accomplish. So, and of course, like the rest of the league appreciates it when you're not just a, 
a sitting duck for everyone you go up against and, and a, a free win. Obviously, I'm talking a head-to-head context, but it's important in Roto, too. 1,000%, Scott. And I know, look, specifically in a Roto League, if you're way down the standings this time of year, I understand the likelihood of coming back and winning is is not very high, but I have had a few late-season runs, Scott, where you know I've tacked on 10, 15 points in the standings, and you know, while I didn't end up winning the league, if you know you could come place, uh, come close yeah. to like a third place finish, or you know, even if there's money on the line, right, and you want to kind of finish somewhere in the standings where you can either get your money back or something like that, it's uh, don't give up because you know, again, yeah, it, it looks grim in like a roto league. I get it, but you can well, I, uh, specifically in those counting stat categories, you can make up ground quicker than you think. So just yeah, don't give up. And and I like feeling like oh if I had this roster like the 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 ways I've improved my roster over the course of the season like if I had this roster from the beginning it'd be a great team it just you know it just took me too long to get this roster right now let's talk about this from a, a keeper league perspective maybe a dynasty league aspect as well Scott I mean the best ways to rebuild in this format what should your trade strategy strategy be do you have any advice for that. I mean, it's it's not especially complicated. I, I just think, you know, obviously it's going to depend a lot on the the parameters of your league, uh, how many players can be kept, what the keeper cost is, you know, whether it's a certain amount of dollars, draft dollars that you're keeping them for, or draft picks or whatever, and just, you know, size up who you're, size up who you're not going to keep and try trading them all for players you could. I mean, I, I don't know. Like, that's that's almost, the advice is almost too simple, right? But I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't be bashful about it. I wouldn't be like, oh man, are they going to get mad at me if I don't do this? Like, if, if, if the rules are not set up so that there's an incentive for you as the non-contender to hold back, anything, any talent for yourself to with, to win now. Uh, for example, in the Scott White Dynasty League, there's a consolation bracket for all the non-playoff teams, and h- how you finish in the consolation bracket determines where you pick in the minor league draft the next year, and it's not a snaking draft. It's, you know, if you win the consolation bracket, you got the first pick in the first round, the first pick in the second round. It's a pretty big deal. Yeah. And I think that that gives a little bit of incentive to to hold back and not just dump everything you're not keeping for whatever they'll give you. But if your league's not set up that there's any kind of uh, in- incentive like that, then you know you gotta you gotta look out for numero uno, and put yourself in the best position to win next year. I'm as you point out, Frank. I'm generally not in favor of um, full scale rebuilds, but you have to you have to be honest about what you already have on your team. If there's just if there's just no talent there to work with, then um, you know, you then, then you there, there does come a point where you kind of have to to start over from scratch and maybe be bad for a few years and just get the best prospects you can. But like then, once you get good, what I like to do is always play for next year, even if I'm having a good year, even if I'm in contention. Like, what's what can I do to set up my roster the best for next year? And if you're if you're always in that mindset, then you pretty much always stay good mm-hmm. because. Uh, you know, you, you build up enough of a backlog of talent that, you know, it's it's unlikely it's unlikely you're going to have a bad year. Mm-hmm. A lot of good points there, Scott. One that really stood out to me was being realistic with your your team and your timeline, right? So 
not that you want to completely tear it down, but I mean, if you see the writing on the wall, your team is just straight up bad. <laughs> Trying to like get as many assets for uh, players, you know, that have some kind of value on your team. I don't think it's a bad idea. And um, but again, it's like if your team, if you if your team is ready to compete the following season, then you can also take advantage of that fact and try and buy low on middle-aged hitters or pitchers that are maybe having a down season that you could see bouncing back. Like Nick Castellanos is one that comes to mind immediately. Like he's not completely old to the point where I think he's just done. I think there's probably a good chance that he could bounce back next year. Maybe not completely, but uh, yeah, like someone like that, or even a pitcher in that kind of mold where if you're ready to compete, um, try and buy low on those guys for the following season. So I do like that aspect. You just really need to be honest with yourself. And I really like that the Scott White Dynasty League does have a consolation bracket because I think it helps with not seeing too many fire sale trades at the deadline because for years in my home leagues, keeper leagues, we would see these massive fire sale trades, Scott, where it's just someone gives up, let's say this season, Julio Rodriguez is going to be a great keeper next year. The other team will give up their like five or six best players. It's this completely lopsided trade that goes down. And then, you know, it obviously just makes that team a powerhouse for the rest of the league to try and handle in the playoffs. And, you know, I just, I don't really like that kind of happening year over year in a keeper league. So I like having a consolation bracket where maybe maybe people are playing for either uh, first year player draft status or even just regular draft picks for the following year. Hey, you win the consolation bracket. You have the first overall pick in the draft next year. Yeah, I, I like doing something and, like and, that, and I think it it does help when it's not a snake draft because yeah, you, you know then then that that it's going to hold every round uh, that advantage that you get. But yeah, it's just a little extra leverage for the sellers because I find that in in keeper and dynasty leagues, uh, you know, the players who are playing for this year have have all the leverage basically because. Because of what, like a player, if you're not going to keep him, what value is to you? What is what value is he to you? So you have to, as a commissioner, create a way that there there is still value, and uh, holding on to players that you're that a non keeper that that a non contender is is not going to keep. And um, yeah, that's one. I, I'm not going to say there are no lopsided trades that ever happen in the dynasty league because of it, but it is just a little bit of extra leverage for the sellers. Yeah, no, I think it's a really good point. Um, So again, yeah, some keeper dynasty league strategy. If you have any other questions, feel free to email us in fantasybaseball at cbsi.com or leave us a a five-star review on Apple and drop a question in the review. Let's get into the rest of Monday night's action. Some hitting leftovers. Just want to show some appreciation to these three in particular. Starling Marte went two for four with a sock and a shoe. His 12th homer, his 14th steal. Over his last 32 games, he is batting 336 with five homers and six steals. Slow start this year, but Starling Marte has been great over the past month or so. Matt Chapman, we talk a lot about him recently. He hit his 22nd home run here on Monday. And listening to the Blue Jays broadcast, they brought up that Matt Chapman, while compensating for some pain the past couple of years with that hip injury, he slipped into some bad habits. Uh, to help manage that pain. And the Blue Jays have him using his legs more, which really helped him tap into power in July. So it sounds like, you know, obviously they they got into the lab here and they figured something out and, and it really has helped Matt Chapman even longer than July. I mean, he's been really good since the start of June. So um, shout out to him. He's been great. And Anthony Santander, Scott, who we 
really just don't talk about much. He went two for three with his 20th home run. He's also batting 259. He's got 50 runs scored, 60 RBI. Counting stats are there for him. He makes a lot of contact. Managed to stay healthy this year. He's been a really good player. He's the 24th outfielder in Roto, 86th overall player in that format, despite not really stealing bases. And his 2.8 fantasy points per game are better than Randy Rosarena, Whit Merrifield, and J.D. Martinez. So, I just wanted to show some love to Anthony Santander, Matt Chapman, and Stalling Marte. Yeah, the Anthony Santander's kind of snuck up on me. You say we haven't talked about him much. Remember, he was like walking uh, completely out of character amount at the start of the year because he's always been so bad at getting on base, and he was walking a ton at the start of the year. And then once that kind of fell off, I... I stopped paying attention to him, but he has stayed healthy, as you point out. He's continued to hit for power. He's he's had a season. It kind of reminds me of like uh, in his prime, Mike Moustakis, where yep, you know, first even though he doesn't strike out much, the batting average isn't great because he puts the ball in the air so much. But that's also why he hits the home runs that he does. So it just it adds up to a profile that's not going to be studly, but is certainly going to be starting caliber. And that's where Santander is right now. Okay, the rest of the hitter standouts from Monday. Mitch Hanniger looks like he is healthy and good to go. He's having a a pretty big game here. He went three for four with his fourth home run of the season. He now has a hit in each of the three games since returning to the Seattle Mariners. Ryan Mountcastle went two for three with his 15th home run. That ended a 26-game home run drought for Ryan Mountcastle, a 26 game stretch where he hit 170 with a 435 OPS. Austin Hayes went two for four. I wonder if he's going to get to 20 home runs this year. Uh, I don't know, Scotty. Did someone call that? Uh, I don't mm-hmm. know. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I've got to say, like earlier in the season, Scott, it didn't look too good, but he is <laughs> yeah. he has really slowed down. Ryan Mountcastle has. Austin Hayes, another one who has slowed down. He went two for four with his 13th home run, but uh, he's been dealing with this oblique injury. His previous 26 games. He was batting 177 with a 499 OPS. Some pitching leftovers. Part one, Chris Bassett has now gone six plus innings in nine straight starts. He has gone seven plus in five of those. And he went eight innings in this start, one unearned run, eight strikeouts to one walk. He lowers his ERA to 3.39 on the season. And then Zach Gallen shut down the Pirates. He goes seven shutout with eight strikeouts. Had 15 swinging strikes on 89 pitches and really lean into his curveball in this start, Scott. 30% of the time he used that pitch. That's just 19% for the season, but it is far and away his best pitch. 174 batting average against nearly a 30% whiff rate. I think we could see better things from Zach Allen if he chose to throw that curveball more moving forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything you'd like to add on him and Chris Bassett? Well, Chris Bassett... It's worth reminding everybody his ERA had climbed to 448 back on June 8th. So now he's got it down to 339. Very good to see. He's having a good year. I don't expect it to change. You know, you say better days could be ahead for Zach Gallon. He's got a 312 ERA on the year. I understand some of the peripherals aren't great. The swinging strike rate is uh, is bad, as like it was last year. Still hard to imagine he could do much better than a 312 ERA, but maybe. Maybe we could trust in the ERA a little more if he if he does use the curveball more and gets more swings and misses. All right. 
Apologies for those who might be watching or listening. Scott, you were breaking up a little bit there. I never know with these things if it's your connection or my connection, but I'm going to shut off the Yankee game for now, and hopefully that's not affecting any of our connection uh, moving forward here. Final 10 minutes or so. Uh, a couple other standouts, pitching standouts from Monday. Blake Snell makes four strong starts in a row. He went five and two-thirds, uh, one run ball, eight strikeouts against the San Francisco Giants. He threw his fastball less and through more sliders and curveballs, which is a great idea for him. If he can locate those secondary pitches for Blake Snell, his batting average against and his whiff rate on both the slider and curveball are ridiculous this year. So I think he could be really, really good if, if he could just locate those pitches. Uh, his last seven starts, he's got a 2-4-3 ERA, 57 strikeouts over 37 and a third innings pitched. That is Blake Snell. Alex Wood gets back on track with a great start at the Padres. Six and a third, one run, Five strikeouts in this one. His ERA still remains over four. But as we've said for most of the season, the underlying numbers are much better for Alex Wood. Uh, anything on those two, Scott? They were up against each other. Snell versus Wood. Well, I will point out that even though his ERA is over four for the season, Alex Wood in five July starts had a 165 ERA. Now, his first start in August was pretty bad, but then he bounced back with this one. So, you know, six of the last seven starts have been good. Have been more in line with the with the the XFIP that's been great all year. So I, I do think Alex Wood is in for a strong finish. And uh, yeah, Blake Snell, I think the most encouraging stat of all is that combined five walks in his past four starts, it's a very good sign for him. Every time, every time we write him off, or at least every time I write him off, he reminds me that there's still a lot of ability there happened last year looks like it's happening again this year what is it scott the uh the old godfather scene just when i thought i was out blake snell pulls me back in yep <laughs> godfather three fun fact i've never seen godfather three i watched of course the, you haven't. i watched the first two Oh, you watched the first. Okay. I don't know why I stopped. I mean, I guess I just heard that Godfather three was so bad that I just yeah. didn't even. I didn't even I give mean, it a it, shot. But yeah, I, I watched them fairly recently, like within the past five, six years or so. Gosh, I'm at a, I'm at a point in life where six years is recent to me now. <laughs> um, <but laughs> I didn't think three was so bad. I mean, it's not as good as one and two, but I I, I think it gets a little too much flack. You're probably right. I I definitely have to watch. There's there's no excuse for that. Um, so just add it to the list, I guess. Last one I wanted to mention, Logan Gilbert was hammered by the Yankees. That's now two starts in a row where he has given up 13 earned runs, both against the Yankees. His ERA jumps to 3.47, gave up nine hard hit balls in this game, average exit velocity up over 92 miles per hour. Might just be a matchup thing, Scott, where just can't pitch against the Yankees, struggles with them. Uh, but... Also, at the same time, Logan Gilbert's been kind of a tough pitcher to analyze this season. What do you think? Yeah, he has been. I mean, he has. I mean, we've seen it for a lot of pitchers. Like we, we expect the swinging right strike rate to be at a certain level in order for them to have success, and uh, it's been down noticeably for a lot of pitchers who've, who've nonetheless performed really well. It's just it seems like it's become. A less critical part of the game than it's been uh, than it's been in recent years, and 
I don't know exactly what to make of that. I, I don't know if that's the influence of the ball being slightly deader, uh, the crackdown on foreign substances creating less spin, less potential for swings and misses. But it, it makes it harder to analyze these guys, at least until we we've at least until we uh, land on a new in new baselines for all these numbers, new expectations. The call to the bullpen for the Orioles. Felix Bautista recorded the final four outs for his fifth save. I mentioned earlier, one of the most added pitchers this weekend. He's up to 60% rostered. For the Cubs, Rowan Wick gave up a hit, but struck out two for his fifth save. And he now makes it nine straight scoreless outings. That is Rowan Wick. He's 20% rostered. For the Angels, Ryan Tapera, who we thought would be the Angels' closer, uh, did pitch a clean ninth inning for his second save. The Angels have had... Three save opportunities since trading away Riceley Iglesias. All three have been converted by different relievers. Uh, Jose Quijada, Jimmy Herget, that was in extra innings. Jesse Chavez actually came into the ninth, the ninth inning in that game originally, but he blew it. Um, and then, obviously, Ryan Tapera here on Monday night. For the Giants, Camilo Duvall picked up his 15th save, and I got an update that he recorded the hardest thrown cutter ever in Major League history, 103 miles per hour in that mm. game, which uh, I'm seeing now was a swinging strike against Josh Bell, which I don't blame you, Josh Bell. That's that's pretty incredible. 103 mile per hour cutter for Camilo Duvall. And then for the Diamondbacks, Ian Kennedy walked one, but picked up his seventh save. He now has three saves in the month of August. They're going with a committee approach. Going to be some Melanson, probably a lot of uh, Ian Kennedy moving forward. I picked up Joe Mantiply in one Deeper league, Scott, just hoping he lucks his way into a few saves down the stretch here, but he pitched the eighth inning of this game, and I'm not sure how much he actually is going to get. How would you rank these three, though, Scott? Rowan Wick, uh, Ryan Tapera, or I guess anybody in the Angels' bullpen, and Ian Kennedy? I still like Kennedy a little more than Wick, but Wick has been better lately, as you point out. It's just, man, the, the whip for the season is so high. I don't know if he got it below 1.7 with this outing, but it does concern me. So Kennedy, Wick, and then anybody. For, I, I would put Tapera first from the Angels' bullpen, but he's a distant third just because that looks like the messiest situation of the three. All right. To stream or not to stream for Tuesday, we have Braxton Garrett at the Phillies, Marcus Stroman versus the Nationals, James Caprillion versus the Angels, and Brady Singer versus the White Sox. So uh, I think I mentioned yesterday that I, that I like all four of these options for Tuesday. I would rank them Stroman first, followed by Singer, Garrett, and Caprillion. All right. On Wednesday, we do have a few options here as well. Jeffrey Springs at the Brewers, Justin Steele versus the Nationals, Jacob Junis at the Padres, Aaron Savali at the Tigers, Johnny Cueto at the Royals, Chris Bubich versus the White Sox, Mitch Keller at the Diamondbacks, and Madison Bumgarner versus the Pirates. Chris Bubich against... No, I'm sorry. That's not who I meant to say. I meant to say his opponent, Johnny Cueto, at the Royals. That's the one I like here. And I'm not crazy about the others. Mitch Keller at the Diamondbacks could go okay, I guess. Jeffrey Springs at Milwaukee, maybe. Even Justin Steele against Washington could be okay. But I'm, I, I definitely like Cueto the most of this group. Okay. I will just point out that Clay Holmes is pitching in the ninth inning for the Yankees. They have a they had a nine to three lead, and it's just another outing where he hasn't looked great. Hit by pitch, 
strikeout, single, fly out, and then he just gave up an RBI single. You know, it doesn't matter that much, but yeah, I think mm. this is now three outings in a row where Clay Holmes has given up runs and uh, Aroldis Chapman pitched a scoreless eighth inning. So we could be moving closer to Chapman earning more save opportunities moving forward for the Yankees. But we'll see. Team name Tuesday, Scotty. Let's go. What do we got here? From Rosenberg, the guns of Braxton. Ah, that's that that song by The Clash. Yes. The guns of Brixton. The guns of Brixton. Yeah, this was pretty it's, good. Here's me reading the notes that you included, <laughs> Frank. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if I didn't put it there, then I wouldn't have remembered what it is either. So I'm happy you read them, but. Maybe you shouldn't have revealed it to everybody. This one's from Dale. Column A bad. Don't read the notes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a good one. It's a good one. That's that's like, the R&B band. Color, color me bad. And then baby got Vogelbach. Yeah. It's a good one. I think we've heard that one before, but it's good. I like it. Uh, these are from John. They are the office themed. Only two for you this time. I didn't remember where that was from, Scott. And I tried to I, Google it. I couldn't find an episode. So I apologize. Anyone who's listening. Well, and I, I don't know what the ref, what, how it relates to fantasy baseball anyway. Yeah, that's, that's fair as well. John, email us in and let us know. What, what does that mean? Only two for you this time. The next one up is Perezel Day. Okay, yeah. It's a fine episode, Pretzel Day. And then yep. Bryson Stott, Papirski Company. Why? Where? Where does the Papirski come from? I guess it's paper company, but right. Um, he's a catcher for the Reds. Oh, really? He hit his first career home run on Sunday. Okay. It's. To- I'd never heard of him. It's totally fine that you don't know who he is, Scott, because he's. <laughs> I'm a, it's always a little embarrassing. Not necessarily fine. fantasy relevant, but no. Yes. Okay. Uh, Bryson Stott Papirski Company, and just a few that I've used this season. Kirby, your enthusiasm on a team where I had George Kirby. I'm a fraud. I haven't watched Kirby, your enthusiasm, though I've heard it's good and I would like to watch it. And the other one is Seiya Ain't So for our Weezer fans out there. Seiya Suzuki, you know, it's been been an up and down season for him as well. But a few team names there for me. All right, Scotty, let's wrap up with this because I kind of teased it on yesterday's podcast that, um, you know, I did have a bit of a, a film take, obviously a very knowledgeable film take. You know me, big big film critic. But as you know, I do know my Adam Sandler movies, or at least I like to think I do. <laughs> and I was having a debate with some of my buddies on Saturday night about what is the funniest Adam Sandler movie. And I put out a poll and included Happy Gilmore and Billy Madison and Waterboy and Little Nicky. Okay. And I have no issue with Happy Gilmore running away with the pole. Scott, I got crushed. I'm telling you from every different direction, every possible space on Twitter, I got crushed for including Little Nicky in this poll. And I get that that movie is not for everybody, but I also didn't realize (laughs) that it was for nobody because Uh. people do not like that movie. uh, Like, I did not know that movie was that hated, so... (laughs) It's news to well, me. I thought it was kinda, hilarious. Kind of oblivious there, Frank. <laughs> I gotta guess, say, I guess that so. movie was made apparently just for you. Uh, uh, yeah, I think I, so. I, I have always seen you as the Adam Sandler movie connoisseur, but now, yeah. now I am beginning to 
doubt your judgment. Uh, everybody knows that the best Adam Sandler movies, the four best Adam Sandler movies, all right? Like, I'm not talking, like, I'm not counting, like, uh, Uncut Gems, you know? I'm, I'm talking, like... Which was a good movie. Happy Madison Productions. Sure. I don't know that they all officially are, but, you know, what people tend to think of with Adam Sandler, the four best, everybody knows, are Happy Gilmore... Anger Management, 50 First Dates, and The Wedding Singer. Those are the best four. I think okay. that's a little I think that's a little spicy, Scott. I don't know. Uh, uh, 50 First knows. Dates and Anger Management. Uh, everybody knows. Know. Jack Nicholson, come on. Uh, I will say Big Daddy is also an amazing movie. I gotta rewatch it. It's been a while. I thought Big Daddy was more wholesome than it was funny, though. You know, like it's a great story. It tugs on the heartstrings, obviously. Yeah. Uh, I was a fraud because I hadn't seen Wedding Singer until this weekend. I did watch it. It was very funny. But another one where I thought it was more wholesome than it actually was funny. So uh, I well, didn't include it in the poll, but whatever. Yeah. I felt how, how how funny are any of them? Let's be honest. Uh, I mean, you know, you know. Okay, so my little Nikki <laughs> came out recently. Is Pixels? I might be the only one on Earth who enjoyed the movie Pixels. I haven't seen it. I love the Pac-Man scene with the Mini Coopers as the different ghosts. Like, I don't know. Maybe I just played all those like really old classic arcade games and, and so like I played them enough that like I got the got the jokes associated. I, I don't know. I I'm not saying it was the greatest movie ever, <laughs> but I don't feel like it deserved to be panned quite as hard as it did. I, I had a good time watching it, you know? All right. They, uh, you know, I can yeah. appreciate that, Scott. Again, that's for you. Little Nikki is for me. I just felt like I needed to come on here and uh, defend the honor of the movie, which apparently does not have much honor. So there you go. <laughs> We're going to wrap it up there. Uh, for Scott, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today. We'll be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball and baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does, <laughs> nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.